We are, uh, I think I can still hear the rain on the roof. Um, this is a crazy morning. Um, we're wrapping up a series today, and, and I'm glad to be here with you. My name's Nathan Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here. And what, something we've been saying through this whole series is that God has planned a full life for you. In fact, Jesus says that in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he has come that we may have life and have it to its fullest. And I don't know what kind of life you've been living, but that sounds really good to me. And we believe that God has a life for you that tells you who you are, and he's the only one that can tell you that. He can tell you that, you that you have a purpose, and he's the only one that can tell you what that is. And he's the only one that can deploy you on the mission that he has for his church and every single son and daughter of his. And those are the things, those things that, that we, that we want to say yes to, identity and, and purpose and mission. Those are the things that we've been talking about, and those are the things that we want to say yes to when God calls us. You know, we are in an, an interesting season right now, and I say we, I mean kind of like just culture and certainly my family, where I think when the, when the spring changes to summer, you kind of have all of these plans, right? There's graduation plans, and so we've got a graduate in my house, and so we've got those plans happening right now. And, and inevitably, inevitably, people ask, well, what are his plans, right, for the fall. Um, you've got plans for summer vacation, maybe a trip or something. Summer comes and people are asking, you're talking about, well, what are your summer vacation plans? Or, or what's your summer job plans? It seems like when summer comes, and if you've got kids in the house, or maybe you've got grandkids around, there's always that question of what are the plans that are coming up that you're really excited about, all right? But it's not just if you have kids in the house, it's really all of us and it's all the time. We're kind of a people who have plans. We've set plans, we have them to look forward to. Um, or it may not be something great, it might be a, a coming surgery that you need to have, right? Maybe, maybe it's a job change that you're nervous about. But the truth is, we're always looking at what's next. What's that next plan that's out in front of us? And really that's something that we're going to talk about today and we're going to wrap up this series with. And here's the big idea. Say yes to God's big plans. Say yes to God's big plans. And we're going to look at it from um, a, a somewhat um, kind of an odd story. Or it's not a story that you would picture for talking about God's plans. All right, But we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible. It is um, kind of the, the Jewish scriptures where God is speaking to and working with, connecting in relationship with the Jewish people prior to Jesus' birth. So we're going to be in Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you bring it up on your Bible app, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have free Bibles for you out at the hub in the lobby. So you can stop out there and grab one, and we'd love to get God's Word in your hand. But turn with me to Nehemiah. All right, chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to just dive right in. Okay, here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halakai. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, I, you know what? I didn't say that right. Um, here's something I've always said, and you're going to get sick of hearing me say it, but I really believe it's true. When you're reading Bible names, names, places, any proper nouns, just say it once, say it quickly and with confidence, and, and everyone will think you're right, and they won't question it. They're like, oh, cool, that's how you pronounce that. All right, so I, I broke my own rule, but we're going to move on, all right? One of my brothers 
Hanani, all right, came from Judah with some of the other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven and the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have, not act, we, we have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave to your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So what's going on? All right, that's the question. Nehemiah, it turns out, is one of tens of thousands of Jewish exiles that have been, when Babylon conquered Jerusalem in 586 BC, they carried tens of thousands of Jewish captives back to Babylon. And it was customary for armies to do this. When a conquering nation defeated another people group, they would often take back with them to, into, their, into their main cities um, the wealthy, the educated, the artisans, the, all right? They would take those people back to their cities and incorporate them and assimilate them into their culture. Meanwhile, some of the poorer people would be left in the ruins of the city to kind of just make it on their own, all right? And that's what happened, Okay. Nehemiah was one of the exiles brought from Jerusalem in captivity to Babylon. And now, we find out here in just a little bit, he serves as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, Artaxerxes, how do you like that one? See, I got that one down, all right? I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, so as cupbearer, um, he has an interesting job. He serves the wine to the king. Right? It's actually a pretty high position. Um, it, it can be imagined that he's also the one that's tasting the wine before he gives it to the king to make sure that it's not poisoned. So it's an important job. It's, a, it's an odd job. It's a scary job, especially if the king's bad. But this is Nehemiah's position as he's in captivity in Babylon. And he gets word from some of his countrymen as they've come back from Jerusalem, back to Babylon. He gets word of the pathetic state that Jerusalem's left in. Its walls are still torn down from the siege that happened many years ago. The gates have still been burned. The people are desperate. They've neglected worship. They've neglected the, the taking care of each other. They've neglected community. They're, they're losing their sense of, of identity and national pride. And Nehemiah gets news of this. 
And so one day he finds himself, he says, just walking along the, the walls of the citadel. And, and, and before he knows it, he turns around and he's walking before the king. This man that he talks about in the last verse, give, give your servant you know, courage to go before this man. He's going to go before the king and ask to return to Jerusalem to rebuild. He's got to respond. He hears a need and he's got to respond. So say yes to God's big plans. That's our big idea. Say yes to God's big plans. The question is, no matter where you are in your faith journey, is in the everyday decisions that you have to make, in the everyday directions in life that you've got to choose from, in all of the heartache and choices, in all of the things that you have to do every day, how do you know what God's plan is? What is the process for you and I to know what God's big plans are? What do we do with that? And how do we tap into it? Well, I think we see, I see, I think we see just that. I think we see a formula, if you will, in the story, in this brief passage about Nehemiah. So the first thing we're going to talk about is this. God shows up when you're about your normal business. If you want to tap into what God's plan is for you, God's big plans, what they are, then you have to understand that God normally shows up when you're just about your normal everyday business. Listen, and Nehemiah starts out in chapter one. He says, while I was walking along the citadel in Susa, Susa being the winter palace of the Babylonian kings, all right, he's just taking a walk, doing his thing, all right? And I think most of us Expect God to show up and reveal his plans for us with this loud, like this angelic visitor and this loud megaphone, this booming voice, and this obvious thing. And I think most of us expect God to show up that way to be super obvious about what it is exactly that he wants you and I to do. And that's okay that we would see that because we do see that picture in scripture a lot. We do see that happen, all right? It happens with um, Moses as he encounters a burning bush on a, fire, on a mountainside and God's voice comes out of it. It happens to Jonah as a big fish swallows him. Pretty obvious stuff, okay, that God wants your attention. It happens to Mary as she's laying in bed at night and an angel comes and speaks to her, all right? So, so it happens, all right? And so most of us expect God to reveal his plans for you, his big plans for, for our community, like that. Right? We say, well, if God um, is going to say something to me, he's going to make it clear, he's going to make it unavoidable, and he's going to make it obvious, Right? That's kind of what we're looking for. That's kind of what we're waiting for. We say that I, I'm just going to be about my normal stuff. I'm going to be about my decision-making, my motivations, my desires. I'm going to be about my life. And if God wants to get my attention and redirect me, well, then he'll interrupt. He'll intervene. And until then, I'm just going to keep going this direction or that direction or this direction. Right? Or maybe... Maybe I know God's going to speak. I know it's gonna, God's going to tell me what he wants me to do. I know that what God wants from me once I re re reach a certain religious standard, once I know enough Bible, once I'm as smart as somebody else I know, once I've been faithful long enough with fewer screw-ups, then he's going to reveal to me his big plans. But the problem is, is that our Heavenly Father often doesn't work that way. 
Most often, he doesn't speak through the big showy things. Gideon was in a wine press down on the ground threshing wheat, farming when God shows up. Rahab is running her brothel when God's plan comes knocking on her door. James and John are washing out their fishing nets when Jesus says, come follow me. You see, God is much more in the habit, church, listen, God's much more in the habit of showing up and revealing something to you and me about himself and about his plans in your going to work and you're going to school and you're brushing your teeth and you're driving to a friend's house and you're doing your homework, everyday sort of things. That's when God shows up. And that's when he reveals something to you. And Nehemiah's walking along the palace walls when he hears the news about Jerusalem. He overhears a conversation and he engages in his normal everyday thing. God is showing up in your normal disappointments, in your everyday heartache, in your hurts. It doesn't take a big special event. I mean, it doesn't take a major wound for God to want to speak into your life and reveal his plans for you. He's there. He's presenting something to you and me right now. And we miss it. Hear me. We'll miss it because we're waiting for one of these big God moments that we've heard about, right? One of these big, because you've heard other people tell you the stories. And you're like, oh, wow, I wish God spoke to me that way. And you're waiting for that moment, and, and you're going to miss it. Listen, I, was, um, I, I felt called to be a pastor when I was uh, 18 years old, okay? And I'll tell you where I was. It wasn't anything special. I was 18 years old. I was at a CIY MOVE conference in Milligan College, Tennessee, sitting in an unair-conditioned chapel, sweating, miserable, sitting next to it, surrounded by teenage girls that I'm sure half distracted me at the time, all right? And I'm sitting there waiting for this chapel service to be over. A guy gets up and speaks. We sing a song, I Feel God Nudge Me, the end. That was, I, I, I tell you, that, that's my story. That's my, my call into ministry story. It's, it's, not, it's not really cool. It wasn't like mind-blowing, I, I honestly wish when people tell me, tell me about that story, I, I wish, I kind of lament that I don't have a better story. I like to try to add details to make it a little more exciting, embellish it a little bit. But there was no beam of light. There was no, no tap on the shoulder and I turned around and no one was there. Oh my gosh. There was no audible voice. It was a nudge. It was just a nudge. I like what 20th century theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer says, he says, when God brings all things to light, you will discover just how significant you've been in his plans. See, God shines his light for you and his plans for you so often just by giving you notice 
not in these loud megaphone commands. Do you see that? And you're missing it. You and I will miss it because we're not tuned in to God's big plans and the small and subtle and everyday but life-changing things he's putting in front of you. Here's another thing I see that happens with Nehemiah. When we hear that God's got big plans for you to accomplish, I, I, I kind of anticipate what most of us think or what, how most of us respond to that. God's got, I, I mean, I said it earlier. I don't know what your response was. I probably started talking again too fast for you to have one. But God's got big, say yes to God's big plans. And you're like, okay. I mean, a lot of us probably just kind of do a shoulder shrug and be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, God's big plans I mean, that's for pastors, right? That's for, like, ministry staff at a church. It might be for the missionary that, that leaves all of their, you know, you know, Western worldly things and goes and serves in a third world country. Like, that's God's big plans, right? Or maybe God's got big plans for the longtime Christians around here. You know, those people who can quote Scripture, who can butcher Bible names, but you think they're saying them right. Those people. Right? You know, that's, God's got big plans for those people. And as a result, because we think God's big plans come, God's big plans, what we think is actually it's somebody standing on a stage, right? If you're going to follow God's big plans, then it's got to be kind of public. It's got to be flashy. There's got to be light shining down. And those are the things that God says are big. And as a result... I think a lot of us follow a very small God. We settle for a small God who just asks us to do small things. Say a prayer before you eat dinner. Be a good person. Keep your nose clean. Come to church when you can. A small God with small dreams. But church, listen, I think, I think what we see in Nehemiah and as you see this story progress is that you and I need to change in our theology of big because we have an incorrect theology of what big means. So you think, you and I think big from a human standpoint and, I, and it's all those things and many more that I described, but how God sees big, how he defines big is his spirit empowers and moves in and through you to do his big thing. See, he's big, you're small. I'm small. He's big. We need a new theology of what big means. So what has God put in front of you today? What has God put right in front of you? What people has God put right in front of you? What sin issue are you battling and struggling with right now? What needs do you see people around you? What is it that they have? What needs do they have right now, today? Where are there people to serve? Where is there generosity to be given? 
Where is it that maybe you need to stop and pause and just listen? Where is it that, that maybe you need, you need to withhold, hold your tongue, or withhold an action or a response? Where is it that you might need to step out in trust and obedience and say yes to a nudging? You see, Nehemiah stepped into something that was just he, just, he just walked right into it. A subtle, quiet, big thing. Here's the second thing, or the third or the fourth. I kind of said a lot there, but um, <laughs> if you want to step into God's plans for your life, if you want to step into that present and, 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 and begin to feel it out, then the next thing I see that you do, not only does you have to be aware that God shows up in the normal business of your day, but also that he will drive you to prayer. He will drive you to prayer. God will draw you to prayer. I want you to look at Nehemiah's response there, all right? His first response on hearing this news of the devastation that still exists in Jerusalem is prayer. It's the first thing he does. He worships God for who God is. He worships him and thanks him for his faithfulness to his promises. And then, did you notice this? He actually goes into this time of, of mourning and repentance. This prayer of, God, we've sinned. Did you see that? This is what he says. Look, verse 6. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Church, listen, Nehemiah recognizes something. When, when God puts something in front of him and he just steps into it, when it, he recognizes that there's sin in his life. There's been forgetfulness. There's been an apathy for the things of God, of himself and his people. He recognizes that. And if you want to press into God's big plans for your life, this is what I learned from Nehemiah. Stop waiting on God to get out his megaphone and scream at you and start with a posture of grief. Grief. Nehemiah's grieving. I mean, he says that, I fasted and I prayed. He's, he's mourning. Mourning over what? For himself and his community. And not just for the, oh, woe is me, or woe is the people in Jerusalem. They've neglected worship. They, they intermarried with other people groups, which is not a bad thing, but those other people groups brought in their own idols and their own religions. And they're losing their identity. They're losing their worship. They've gotten, and some of them have gotten comfortable in Babylon, and they've forgotten who God is and what he wants for them. And Nehemiah is just, he's brought to grief. There's ministry that's left undone. There's worship that's left unoffered. There's generosity that's been withheld. And Nehemiah sees the sin that's in his own life, in the life of his community, and it breaks his heart. And I'm telling you, if your sin... Your sin, your personal sin, my personal sin, and my grief for the sin of the people in my community, in my city, if that doesn't cause me to grieve, then I am not, and neither are you, responding to the plans and the things that God has put right in front of you. If you don't grieve. 
let grief for the ministry that is being left undone drive you to your knees. That's what I see. Say yes to God's big plans. Here's the third and last thing. God's going to activate you for a mission. We'll be talking about that throughout this series, that, that we want to activate White Oak in this season and this year to be about one another and to loving one another, caring for one another, all these one another's. We want to be activated, and God will activate you. If you want to know what his plans, follow his activating work that the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, the nudgings, the pullings, the, the whispers, the moments, and the opportunities, and step into it and be activated for mission. This is what Nehemiah says at the end of his prayer that we just read there. He says, grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. What's he going to do? He's going to go into the throne room, and he's going to ask the king's permission to leave and go back to Jerusalem. Um, in Gen- uh, Genesis, no, we're going to go stay in Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah, here we go, chapter 2. Let me give you the verse so that you can follow along. It is verse 1, all right? This is what happens. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, well, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. There was real fear there in Nehemiah, all right? And you could see, he said it, I was so afraid. And when you step into God's plans, I'm telling you, there will be fear. It will be inconvenient, and it'll be super uncomfortable at times. Did you know that it took Nehemiah four months from the time that he heard about the state of Jerusalem to the time that he approached the king? Four months had passed. He had to muster that courage He had to get on his knees and pray and grieve and then step into what God had put in front of him. The king could have immediately called for his execution. For just making the request, the king could have ordered Nehemiah's death, but instead he tells him to go, and he goes. Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem, and you know what happens? And I encourage you to read the rest of the story. He rebuilds the walls. He rebuilds the gates. He gathers people in community. He gives to the poor, and he starts helping with community efforts. He gathers them, and worship is rekindled, that they're brought into community and identity, and they're protected once again. Let me ask you, what is left undone right now in your life? What walls are still torn down and gates? What is left undone here at White Oak? What do you notice? Ministry opportunities. They're like thrust in front of you. What's left undone? What's left undone in your relationships and your family? What's left undone in your relationships at work or school? What's left undone in Coleraine Township or in Ross Township or anywhere around our city? What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? 
And where can you this week, today, take steps into meeting God's plans and being activated to go and do something about it? I want to tell you something. Nehemiah's story is our story. Nehemiah's grief is really just a, a prequel to the grief that Jesus had. All the similarities in this story. Do you know somebody else who saw the condition of Jerusalem and wept bitterly over it? Do you know someone else who did? Matthew 23 says that Jesus walked over and looked over Jerusalem and he wept. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you've done so many evil things and how long I have just wanted to gather you to me like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I've wanted to protect you. I've wanted to give you life. I've wanted to give you my life, but you wouldn't let me. And Jesus wept. And when your sin has left you defenseless, and when you feel attacked on all sides, and when you ignore him, and you have not listened, and when you couldn't pull yourself out of your desperate and pathetic state, Jesus rebuilt. Jesus revived. Jesus restored and reconciled your life back to God on the cross. Jesus wept for you and me, and he took a beating. And he died. Because there's nothing you and I could ever do to crawl out of the pit that we're in and rebuild a life with God. But he gives you and me full life. He did it. I want to encourage you. In a few minutes at the end of the service to come forward. And we would love to pray with you that you would accept baptism in the name of Jesus and step into an identity that you can only find in him. Or we could pray for you about the next thing that God's calling you to step into. We'd love to do that too. Walk with the Spirit today, church, in the everyday in and outs of the normal stuff. Pray, grieve, and trust. And our Heavenly Father will activate you to do the things that only he can do. Pray with me. Jesus, we are yours. Forgive us when we have ignored the call that you've put in our life. And give us the strength by your spirit to move. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.